Hi, I'm Dave Bazuki, founder and CEO at Roblox. You're listening to Tech Talks, a podcast about the people and ideas that are shaping the future of 3D co-experience. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the most innovative technologies that have emerged in this new category and sharing stories with the Robloxians that are building them. Today, I'm joined by Matt Kaufman, Roblox's Chief Systems Officer and Head of Safety Product Policy and Operations, and Naren Konaru, Vice President of Trust and Safety Engineering. We'll be talking about our vision for civility and the technical challenges we're solving to ensure Roblox is a safe and civil platform. Let's get started. We've got two people today, which is a real treat, Naren and Matt. How's everyone doing today? Welcome. Thanks, Dave. I'm doing good. Hey, so quick background. Let's start with how you came to work at Roblox. Matt, I know I met you well before you worked at Roblox, and then we were fortunate enough to have you join us. Could you give us a little background? Yeah, sure. So uh, before I even came to Roblox, I was working at a different company with Craig Donato, who's also at Roblox, who happened to be in the same building as Roblox was probably back in like 2010 or something like that. And I got to meet you and the rest of the team there, which was really fun. I didn't know a whole lot about Roblox then, but that's when I started learning about it. And I think a fun trivia fact is we were in the same building on top of that. That's right. Afterwards, when I came back to work at Roblox, many years later, it was the exact same building. It was almost like a deja vu walking in there again. And for those historians that are interested on Third Avenue in San Mateo, there are two plaques on opposite sides of the street. One is a plaque that says YouTube founded here. And on the other side of the street, there's a blue plaque that says Roblox here. So it's a pretty huh. special place and we've moved since then. And then Naren, how did we come together? Yeah, so I worked with uh, Dan Sturman, who's our CTO in my previous job. We worked together for a very long time. We were building these data infrastructure systems for the largest banks and the three-letter agencies, helping to make sure that they can keep their systems safe and do a lot of forensic analysis, et cetera. And then Dan got me excited about Roblox, and I got like two boys who were a big Roblox fans too. So, so that got me excited about Roblox, and you know that, that's when it all started. We've heard that before, Naren. Many of our employees, you know, the the bigger and the longer Roblox is around, it's moving from have kids playing Roblox to we are getting more and more employees who are now Roblox fans themselves. And so it's been really lovely to see both of them. So we're talking about uh, safety civility at Roblox, which is arguably one of the biggest product groups, and it's a group that includes product, engineering, live operations, thousands and thousands and thousands of people working 24-7, policy experts, and all of that in this unending mission to make our platform amazingly safe and civil. I do want to, for the listeners out there, roll the clock back a bit to the very, literally within about a month of launching Roblox, if you can picture four of us in a small office in downtown Menlo Park with about a hundred people at any one time live on Roblox, doing somewhat of they do today, uh, immersive experiences starting to be user created. 
and having very simple text chat capability. And the four of us being on Roblox several hours a day, knowing everyone on the platform. And of course, as the platform grew, starting to see a few utterances that were starting to get a little uncivilized, maybe just a little edgy. And I got to credit Eric Castle, our co-founder, who about a month in said, we have to stop everything and build a safety platform. And we were growing. We had all this 3D physics stuff we wanted to engineer and social graph stuff, but we really did it. And we built a system where people could mention they were uncomfortable, where the four of us for the initial time period each traded off as the moderators for Roblox. And we would each take turns running the safety moderation queue. We would see all of the things that people were saying. We would take some action around warning those users or possibly in a really extreme case, maybe shutting their account down for a day. And fast forward 16 or 17 years, that really got us started. I'm wondering to start, if either one of you can chime in, is how much is it like that today versus you know how far have we come since then? I can probably start. I think what's probably come the farthest since then is more of an appreciation for what safety and civility means. So safety, I think everybody can understand. You know, we want to stop people from experiencing any physical harm and things like that. Civility is something that's more nuanced. What's okay for a group of 20-somethings who are all hanging out on a Friday night is very different than what's okay for a kindergartners who might come together to play like an online obstacle course. And so when we think about that and we think about all of the systems that we have to build to understand the context of every situation and what's okay and not okay for each person, I think that that has grown and continues to grow in complexity. And that's probably the biggest difference in understanding safety and civility probably since the inception of Roblox. I like the word context there and I'll follow up on it. But first, Naren, if you have anything to add. Yeah. So Dave, to your point about how far we have come, right? People are uploading close to 400 plus million experiences or recreations of uh, those experiences every day, more than a billion communications that are happening. So obviously, you know, it was an amazing start to start with four of you to hand moderate them, but to do it at this scale, and we're still ingraining the principles of safety at the core of everything that we do, it's an enormously challenging task. And I think we've come a very, very long way, both from a technology perspective, as well as just scaling to the to the extent that we built this company over the past 15 years. Yeah, the scale is enormous. And uh, we'll dive into a little bit of that today. When we dive in, let's start maybe with the vision. And Matt, you said one thing around context. And I think this is something that's been a fundamental principle for Roblox since day one, is it's not one size fits all. A human co-experience platform like Roblox is going to have younger people, is going to have older people, is going to have people in different countries, is going to have both content around the places they go and the clothes they wear. It's going to have communication, whether it's text or voice. And that ends up being this giant combinatorial matrix of possibilities can you share a bit around the vision of how context may inform each person's personalized experience? 
Sure, Dave. I think if we're starting off, you know, we want to be the leader in civil online communities. And in order to be that leader, we have to have this system that understands the context in which everybody on the platform is, what they're experiencing. And that's not just, you know, maybe it's where you are in the world because different parts of the world have different regulations and different laws. It could be how old you are. We know that what's appropriate for a five-year-old or a 12-year-old is very different than what's appropriate for an adult. It also really depends on who you're with, how you behave and what you can imagine being acceptable when you're just hanging out with your friends is very different than when you show up in a public square and you're with everybody else. So what we're doing is we're building these systems that detect the context for every situation. And then we want to use that context to determine what's appropriate and not appropriate. And then take the right actions. And even like what actions you take, if you give somebody a nudge to say, hey, maybe that wasn't the appropriate thing to do, that action that we take has to really depend on the context that you're in. Because sometimes it's totally fine, sometimes not so much. In the real world, what's really interesting is this context people naturally understand. When you walk into a store and you know what behavior is acceptable, or you go to Disneyland, or you know, you're on the beach or at a bar or whatever. And what we're trying to figure out is how do you bring that context awareness into a virtual environment? And then we're exploring a lot of different things we can do in the user interface to do that. And we're also exploring what we can do with our developer community, because context depends a lot on the types of games or experiences that they're creating too. And we want those developers to have a hand in this as well. So as I listen to you, Matt, for our users out there, this might seem ridiculously ambitious because we're talking about a system based on context that has many, many parameters, age, where you are, public setting, country, developer, your personal preferences. This seems very complex. Naren, I think the question to you is long-term in engineering a system like this, does it actually make our job easier, even though in the short term, it seems ridiculously difficult? And I, you know, sometimes very complex systems, when you engineer a system that can handle many combinatorial inputs and have state tables and look up things and dynamically configure, if done right, can ultimately become very, very elegant, even though initially it's a lot of engineering work. Do you have any of that vibe that over time by attacking this difficult problem, which we've already done and continue to do, it actually yeah. gets easier in the long term. I think that's absolutely right. We cannot custom build these solutions, one per community, et cetera, right? So we, I think we have to build an underlying foundation where each of these workflows are very easily customizable. We can operate them at scale. And a lot of these decisions and applying this context is done through machines. We understand the context eventually through by collecting data about our user preferences and then baking that into a system of customized workflows. It is a very hard problem today, but I think if we build the systems right, then I think our jobs five, 10 years down the line will become much, much easier. And we almost replicate what's possible in a physical world in an easier way than by hand. I think if we were to short circuit this and build a particular custom workflow for a community, I think we'll uh, we'll end up in a bad state. Yeah, so well, I think the bad state is without a really dynamic, configurable, adjustable, multi-parameter system. You're calling me at three in the morning to make a CEO decision 
rather than having a system that is very adaptable to every configuration. And I think I've mentioned to you both that I don't want these 3 a.m. phone calls. So (laughs) that's another reason to build it this way. So stepping back just a little as we start diving in, and we'll talk about some pieces For the overall safety platform, this is involved with text, multiple ages, voice, a wide range of content, 3D experiences, assets, assets that can include sound and images and 3D objects, people around the world. Maybe from a maybe outside in, just a rough idea of the magnitude of this system's Naren or Matt, could you share maybe a a virtual block diagram of things come in, some of that scanned by AI, some of it scanned by humans, moderate, like a just a little bit of a magnitude of the system? Yeah, if you think about it, when we get over 3 billion logins per year, right? Roth systems are over 4 million QPS. We have our suspicious flood checkers that are. Uh, operating at like a 6 million plus QPS systems. And then if you, uh, I touched upon this earlier, if you look at the number of experiences that we have to review, and if you put that in the context, and, and then, you know, communications, we get over billion text messages every day going through our platform. So I think this is like an enormous scale that we have to, to moderate to make sure that, okay, it's all safe. And we cannot do it only with humans, right? So irrespective of how much money we can throw, I think it's just not scalable, especially as we move towards getting a billion users to start using our platform. So a lot of things that we build, as a principle-wise, everything goes through our AI, machine learning. And then we say, hey, here's things that are auto-good, here are things that are auto-bad. When we are suspicious, that's when we send it to our humans. And then humans will make a decision and then that decision feeds back into our AI system so that we are in a continuous learning mode. And our goal is that eventually we use our human moderators to only look at the most nuanced decisions where human intelligence is necessary. And we make yep. we automate almost all of the easy stuff. That's cool. Hey, it might help yeah. to, um, to have a little bit of a roadmap of what makes the safety platform at Roblox. Just talk about the components of it. So the first thing is what one of the things that Naren was talking about, which is our account system. And so our account system, it's really there to ensure that there's integrity for the person who holds the account, that they know that all of their assets and all their preferences are all safe in Roblox. And what makes accounts challenging is that we need to make an account system that works with the developer out there that has 100 people on their team and is building a game. And we also have to make that account system work for a kid and everything in between. So we have our account system. The next thing we have is content safety. And so on content safety, we review every asset that's loaded into Roblox, whether that's an image or a mesh or whatever it is. We review all of that through machines and through people to make sure that it meets all of our content standards. And then we have communication safety. And communication safety is really around text chat and voice chat and who's friends with who and really, really understanding that social network and how people behave with each other. And then we have what we call our toolbox or our safety toolbox and that's the system that's like almost like a giant workflow engine that takes reports of problems. It takes signals that we're finding, you know, when we're automatically monitoring what's happening on Roblox. And it makes all of that information available to our customer support teams and moderators. And it just handles all of that work. And then obviously we have the operations side of the platform, which is 
all of the people who are working 24 seven across, I think, 10 different languages um, to help keep everybody safe. And so when we think about the safety platform, it's really those five components. Hey, on the account side, let's maybe start there. On one side of the account, we have creators and their groups and teams that are creating experiences, earning dollars and virtual currency Robux. Maybe if you could just share a little bit of our primary hardening roadmap, any other things you think we'll ultimately have to do with that? Yeah. So if you think about it, accounts are your passport to the metaverse, right? So they contain your avatar, they contain a lot of assets, like you said, and these accounts can range from our most advanced creators to a six-year-old who's setting up their first online account ever. And like you said, I think our audience varies from the sophistication of how savvy they are. So we do the standard things like the 2FA authenticator, security keys, and all of these things. And we also monitor suspicious activity to make sure that we challenge the users at the right time. And that's kind of a standard set of uh, tools. But I think long-term though, where we want to go is we fundamentally believe that passwords are evil, right? So they are easily crackable. They're hard to remember. They are sold on dark web, et cetera. I think a lot of innovation here is ahead of us. We envision a world where you just download Roblox, you pick a username, customize your avatar, take a selfie, customize your avatar and off you go, right? Yeah. Behind the scenes, we generate a FIDO compliant auth token that you can store it in on your TPM chips on your uh, devices. And then they're always secure. And when you need to transfer to another device, we use biometrics as an authentication mechanism. So that's, I think, the long term where we want to go. Yeah. And maybe I would nuance that in that it you need so much hygiene in a password-based system in today's world. And you have to be very thoughtful. And and there's a lot of people out there that don't realize that if you use the same password in multiple places and one of those places is hacked, they will probably try to get into your other place with the same password. And so it's actually takes a lot of work for a younger person to maintain multiple different passwords for every separate thing they're doing, typically using a password manager or something like that. So this is one of the complexities of that as some websites get hacked and that kind of happens. So I kind of chime in with you there. I am optimistic over time, more and more partnerships with hardware vendors, partnership with device, these types of biometric partnerships are gonna make this a much better world. And there is a time way off in the future where it will have seemed kind of weird that we all had all these passwords. I'm not sure if that's in two or 10 or 20 years, but if we imagine a sci-fi movie in 30 years, I don't think we have uh, passwords. I'm going to move on to the content on Roblox and highlight once again, this content runs the gamut from 3D places to clothing to in the future avatars to images to 3D objects. This is so difficult because the range of types of content we have to watch for that we might consider bad could range all the way from, I think I remember when I was really young and I would hang out with my friends, what we would, you know, we didn't have 3D online communities and we didn't have other stuff. So 
We might try to look up swear words in the dictionary for a thrill. And this was a long time ago. And arguably, there probably are some very young people who think it would just be thrilling to get something offensive live on Roblox, all the way to the really serious things we have to be aware of. People either for money or bad actors really trying to do this. And so there's a wide range of things we have to protect against. Can you just share a little about the steps we take on this type of content? Naren, you mentioned, of course, we're looking at millions of experiences. Even something as simple as images, maybe let's start off with, and the tools we've had to create because people try in so many ways to get images that are not within our guidelines up on the platform and you know some of the things we've had to work around. Yeah, technologically, this is a really, really hard problem, right? If you think about it, it's a computer vision of images. It's a graph similarity of gameplay files, et cetera, right? It's a network analysis of these players and malware analysis of scripts and a three-dimensional object matching a detection. So all of these things together is kind of how we gather signals from, okay, it's not just about what is the content of the image, who's uploading it, you know, how do we get, gather signals around the user reputation, et cetera, and then use those to build a model that can, at a high precision, and most of the times can give us an automated decision. And of course, when we are in doubt, we, we always use our human judgment before making the final call. But again, it, it is a very complex problem and we use all sorts of these techniques to bring them together before we can be confident whether it's either good or bad. Hey, I just want to comment, Naren. All of us are hearing LLMs, AI, all of that. It's really hot right now. Arguably, for the last uh, two to five years, as AI has evolved, We've already been using this type of technology to accelerate the automation of our moderation. Yeah. Can you comment a bit on that? Yeah, that's a great point. We are living in exciting times of AI, for sure, Dave. And you know, we, we started using the first LLM roughly four years ago for text chat. Right, so distal uh, the bird model that was first came out, which is the, arguably the first LLM that was out published by Google. We used that and we customized uh, for our context. Again, a general purpose LLM is good, but we need to really understand the nuances of the culture, the communication, the Roblox audience itself. And that was trained over six six million parameters at the time, and we used that and we really really optimized it so that we can run it at the QPS that is required, in a, which is less than 50 milliseconds, and at our scale in our data centers, right? So that was a lot of work, but I think you know we are running that very, very efficiently, and that's what powers our text filter today. Now, there is a lot of new advancements that are happening in these LLMs, and we are taking a look at it very, very seriously, both for text, voice, and images, uh, or, or 3D objects, rather. And I think what, the way we, we are looking at it is, can we just take those models, run it as is, which in most likely is not going to work directly, but we can use those models, train with our own custom data, and then generate much more efficient models that we can run at our scale. Yeah. And so this is one of the big themes right now yeah. is base LLMs combined with human feedback to put that together to create systems for specific vertical domains that just get better and better and better and better. So we've been combining our 
own data with these LLMs for four years. Matt, one of the things I've been pushing for is how much human reinforcement data can we get? And can we, in a completely privacy compliant, safe terms of service way, get as much data, even possibly from signals of our users, to help make these systems supercharged and super intelligent. Can you share anything about the, the possibilities there? Sure, I would, I would start by saying, I think that Roblox has a unique opportunity given the amount of data and the amount of people who are on the platform to be able to identify a lot of signals around both content safety and communication safety and user behavior that we can use to train models. And our vision is, that we will always have a large sort of human component of people who are helping us determine what is appropriate and not appropriate. And we imagine that that human component that's out there, essentially it's a giant army of people labeling data. And then we're using all of that information that's coming from those labels. We're comparing different people reviewing the same content to figure out who is actually the really great labeler for what is an appropriate piece of audio. That may be different than somebody who labels what is an appropriate 3D mesh. And that's okay. And we need to build systems that let us identify that and make those people really efficient. And I think in our future, what we would like to do is say that these are jobs. Labeling content is a job and people can become experts in it. And we really want anyone in the community to be able to raise their hand and say, hey, I want that to be my full-time job or my part-time job. And then they should be able to come to Roblox and work just like our creator community comes to Roblox and creates this content. We can have other parts of the community help us identify what's safe and not safe. I'll go way out there. And we've talked about this a little, which I think goes way above and beyond the call of what people would expect for Roblox and gets into personalized safety, where within all of experience guidelines and all of that, imagine a world where there's a very small group of people that are very afraid about giant cats who are acting as monsters in a game. And for the general population, giant cats who are acting as monsters in a game or experience maybe is viewed as some age guideline, GPG, whatever. But there's a subsection of our people on our platform, whenever they see the giant cat, they get a little like, I'm uncomfortable, or this is a nerve wracking thing. Could you ever imagine for those users incorporating those signals and actually starting to warn them? in a very, very precise way that this is an experience with giant cat monsters, you might want to be careful. And for all the cat lovers out there, I just want to highlight I have two cats. So I'm not trying to throw cats under the bus. Yeah, you know, Dave, I think that that is actually part of context, people's personal opinions and how they feel about something. I think that's part of the context that we take in to determine what's appropriate and not, and to give people signals to say, hey, this might not be a great situation for you, and maybe you want to try something different. You know, what's interesting is we have systems in Roblox where essentially you can raise your hand and you can say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this, or I think that there's something here that's not quite right. And when you dig into that, and I think others have found the same thing, is that you'll see a lot of people raising their hand and they'll say, hey, this isn't right. I don't think that, you know, the aesthetic of this particular experience that I'm in, I don't feel comfortable with that. 
so there's a lot of these signals that come in and we need to be able to take those and determine, you know, what feels right for each individual person and really be transparent. And I think that actually goes back to one of our principles behind these safety and civility systems is to always be transparent with our users about what's happening. We might be transparent with them about, hey, you know, this experience might not be right for you. Um, also, we might be transparent to them and saying, we've detected this behavior. Other users around you have detected this behavior that might not be appropriate maybe you should think about what you're doing and maybe adjust a little bit. And we just want to, we, we don't want to hide stuff in the back. We want to let people know what's going on. Okay, cool. Now, wanna, let's jump from content into communication. And communication can involve text and it can also involve voice. And I want to jump straight to voice to start. And I want to highlight uh, first Naren. Voice is huge. It's huge opportunity on Roblox. But at the same time, we've been very conservative in the rollout of this. And we started with online photo ID, validated users, all of that. Can you share a bit about why we've been conservative? Yeah, I think that's a good question, Dave. This goes back to our principles of saying safety is paramount to Roblox. We want to make sure that every communication is very, very safe. And we started conservative for a few reasons, right? As we are building our techniques around machine learning and large LLMs for our own audio models that we're developing, we do need to gather some good data so that we can train these models. And at the same time, we do not want anybody to be exposed to bad behaviors. So as our safety systems are evolving, we do invest very heavily on human monitors today for voice so that we can keep the systems alive and safe for these users. But at the same time, we've been very, very thoughtful about opening it up for the entire community as our models are evolving and we can operate at scale. I am very excited about the possibility that our data can help us build better voice safety systems. Can you share, to the extent you're comfortable, hinting at how that's one of the components we can use to build an awesome voice moderation system? 100%. I think this is what the most exciting technical challenge is, if you will. I think our, our vision is that eventually we build some kind of a live streaming audio system where we are detecting toxicity in real time within a second. And then we issue that to either do a good behavior nudge or to you know, encourage people to be nice to others and stuff like that. Right? So we could do a lot of the consequences as long as we can detect this toxicity in near real time. Now, how do we do it? Again, like you said, I think our biggest power comes from all the work that we've been doing in text chat for the last 10 plus years. We also have these large language models that are coming up that can give us very easily speech to text. So we could see a world where we can do a speech-to-text with millions of labeled data that is already there. We could train an entirely different set of models that could never need to go through speech-to-text uh, in some ways. And that's how we will make these models smaller. They can run anywhere from starting our cloud to our own data centers to eventually one day maybe on the device itself so that we could get within a few milliseconds latency. And that, that'll really help us to reduce toxicity in voice at scale. We imagine a future where almost all of our users, regardless of age, are using voice to be able to talk to each other. And in real time, we're listening to what's happening. We're determining what's being said might be appropriate or inappropriate. 
for our younger users, we're automatically blocking content that we might find inappropriate, like PII or something like that. Um, and then maybe even in real time, we're changing the voices by using voice mod and other stuff like that. And ultimately what you come to is a communication system, which is just as safe as our current text system. And so you asked at the beginning, why are we taking voice slowly as we roll it out? And the reason for that is we're trying to learn as much as we can along the way so we can figure out what is the pathway to get to that vision of really voice communication, safe voice communication for everybody on the platform. Hey, Matt, while we're on the topic of this, we've been talking about the engineering a bit and about our live ops bit. I'd like to delve a little into policy. And, you know, if we imagine human co-experience in 3D simulation starting to be a parallel analog to the real world, in certain ways, we've talked about how that can help us. So, for example, just as your intro, you mentioned the types of civility standards we might have at a large family amusement park and how that might differ someday from maybe a nightclub, for example, that is 18 and up or 21 and up. I'm very optimistic that we can look to the laws of the real world in certain cases to help us drive that policy and mirror that rather than all the time making up our own. Can you comment on that a bit? Sure. So I think inside of Roblox, we have a policy team. And what their job is, is actually to work with all of our product development teams and all the everyone working on different features and whatnot at Roblox to try and understand like, okay, you, you have this feature, maybe it's voice communication, maybe it's building custom avatars, maybe it's something about a new form of content that you're going to put on the platform. And what we do is we look at those features and we try and draw understanding from the real world. And we try and draw understanding of how people behave in the real world and see how we can overlay that on top of what we're doing inside of Roblox and figure out what are the most simple policies that we can create, these fundamental principles that we can define. And if we can articulate those and then work with all of the folks inside of Roblox and actually also work with our developer community, it provides them a blueprint of how to build and how to build something that is intuitively civil because people understand what civility means in the real world. How do you make that intuitive and almost by default within a virtual world? As we look to the future and just think about where we want to go and, and whether we're measuring, whether we're doing things right. I mean, I see all the charts, I see all the work and it's going in just constantly in the right direction. And I've also thrown a bit out. One of my challenges would be we ultimately measure civility on Roblox and we can see that people experiencing Roblox are actually learning a bit about civility and going in the right direction. So that would be my own personal goal to know we're doing it right. I, I don't know, Naren or Matt, how would you say, you know, how do you think we're doing it right? Or how would you measure that? Uh, yeah, so I can say that there's the very tactical way we're looking at it, which is we look at how many people on the platform are exposed to content or behavior, communication, whatever it is that they're uncomfortable with. And that gives us a very tactical, like, of course, we want to drive that down to zero I think when you get into something that's a little bit more subjective, like civility, it does come down a little bit to asking people how they're feeling about the experiences that they're in or the time that they're spending in Roblox. And the answers that you're going to get are going to be very different depending on who you talk to. And we think that that's okay. One thing I think we want to try and avoid is 
a trap where we think that just because somebody is spending more time or maybe spending more money automatically implies that they're having a good experience. And I think others have fallen into that trap in the past. And so we're trying to figure out what the right way of taking the signals that we have and asking the right questions to determine if we're on the right track or not. Yeah, I think apart from the metrics that Matt was talking about, we also are dealing with an enormous scale here and dealing with scale and driving a very, very efficient machines is is also part of the challenge here. Again, you know, we do need real people, real moderators that will help us the most nuanced decisions. But again, automating as much as possible before they can even see this is an, another tremendous challenge. And we watch ourselves very, very carefully in terms of how efficiently we can scale. Yeah, I liked how what both of you said combines to two of our values. One, of course, is respecting the community. The other is taking the long view. And I think, Naren, what you talk about in taking the long view is sublinear scaling, is the ability to, as the company grows, grow better than that as far as all parameters, cost, performance, quality, faster than we're growing. And then, Matt, I think what you're speaking around, it's not just the raw metrics of engagement time and money. Because dystopian systems can be created that drive those metrics. But when real people actually immerse in our system, it's about, are they feeling comfortable? And and are they enjoying time on the platform? And so that's also a very long-term view. So I think having both of you think about these long-term type visions for safety and civility makes me feel, and I've already felt this, we're in really good shape for the future. So I think the company, our Roblox community, our investors, parents, I I believe around the world are very thankful for all of of your work. And I want to thank you for being on the program today. Thanks, Thanks, Dave. And that's all for another episode of Tech Talks. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to find out more about careers at Roblox, check out roblox.com forward slash careers. I'm your host, Dave Bazuki. See you again next time.